I appreciated Chuck's comments this morning. I've been praying a lot about um, our nation and especially the attitudes of, of people, you know. And I think the, the question about what's next has been on a lot of people's minds, you know, whether it comes to the nation or um, maybe our church or, or your life individually. And, and so this morning, I, I thought I'd just focus on this idea of getting unstuck. Um, I, I don't know how many of you have, have been there um, Maybe in your life where you feel like you're just in a rut. You feel like you're stuck. You feel like things aren't moving forward. And that might be just with your education, with your business, with your spiritual walk. Um, as somebody who has had a two-wheel drive Jeep, I'm familiar <laughs> with what it is to be stuck. I've been stuck a lot. Um, and I've been stuck several times, I feel like, even in my spiritual walk. You know, and so that's something I kind of wanted to focus on this morning. And we're going to open with a prayer in a minute. But I want you to just ask this question. What is next for you? What's next for Meadowlark? What's next for God's kingdom in Fort Collins? Uh, this is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. And some of you know me. Uh, I, there's a long story behind why. But I would say he is among the very greatest of heroes in my life. Um, I, I can think of very few historical figures that has impacted me more than this man. He said this, If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Now this is a man who experienced this nation at a time when it was stuck. I mean, in a bigger way even than it is now, stuck. And having to move Forward and what that's going to look like. Um, this weekend, uh, I had a pipe burst in my house. Uh, I came home and um, I just opened a bathroom drawer. Something fell behind the bathroom drawer. I closed the bathroom drawer and that caused my pipe to burst. And I don't have the PEX piping. I don't have the um, copper piping. I just have PVC in there. And it snapped and it was the hot water line. All right. So I reached down underneath the sink and scalding myself, spraying all over me. I'm being scalded. It hurts. We keep our hot water apparently way too hot. <laughs> and I'm reaching in and I'm going for the valve. And I would go in and turn ah, and I would jump back and I would jump in and turn again and I would jump back. Finally, I closed it. Nothing because the brake is below the valve. And and you know, when you're panicking, you can't think about obvious things, okay? And so normally, if you were to ask me, where is the main water shut off in your house, and I'm relaxed and calm, I would take you right to it. But when you're panicked and, and just, I had no clue. I could not think. So I'm dancing around, all of Melinda's stuff is getting soaked. And I'm like, I'm going to die, unless I find a way to blame this on her, which I eventually, <laughs> eventually did. Um, but... I, I ran downstairs and, no, I didn't really blame. Um, and I found the main, the hot water shutoff above the hot water heater, so I stopped the pressure a little bit. Um, but I thought it would stop it entirely, so I ran upstairs, I was relaxed because it's not spraying anymore. Uh, but then I realized it's still coming out, and so I put my finger in the hole. And I, I, I kept trying, and it was burning, and I kept trying to stuff things in the hole, but it, the pressure would mount and it would, anyway. I put my finger in the hole. I'm soaking wet. I pull out my cell phone and I start calling plumbers. 
And the first plumber I call is, um, hi, we value your service for instructions in English. Please press one. Para instrucciones en español, toca dos. And everything we would do, every place I would call, it would be a machine. And and I was like, no, I'm, this is an emergency. <laughs> and so finally I got the sweetest lady on the phone. And she said, oh, I've been there before too. You know, back in 1990, <laughs> she did. And, and I was like, and I was trying to be as friendly as I could. And she said, I'll tell you what, in the next few hours, I'll have someone call you and tell you what's going on. And I said, ma'am, I'm, I'm going to be, I really want to be kind to you right now. I, I don't need to know what's going on. I, I need help. And I, and I said, I'm soaking wet. I'm scalded, I'm burning, and I have my finger in a pipe in an awkward position under my sink. And she was so kind, and she said, I'm going to have somebody come out there. Well, anyway, I, I use that as an analogy. That was my weekend. Um, I use it as an analogy because I had to, because it was that miserable. But also because I was thinking about what sermons can be like, or what self-help books can be like. When we're talking about theology and theory, when some people are sitting there thinking, I, I need immediate help. I don't need to know theology right now. I don't need to know. I am in a very, very tough spot. And I need some practical, how do I get out of this right now kind of advice. And and if that's where you're at this morning, um, I pray that this just won't be empty theology. I really pray that this would be an opportunity to step back and evaluate whether this is just you personally. And we're going to talk about addictions. We're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about immature, a lot of these things. But mostly, um, I want us to look up and say, I need to get out of this. As a church, as a person, whatever it is, I want to move forward. Um, One of my favorite bands is U2. Um, From the time I was a kid, I I like Bono. And um, there's a song that he sings. It's among my favorite, but I didn't know favorites. But I didn't know the depth of the lyrics until recently. First, I'm going to read just some of the lyrics of the song, and then I'm going to tell you the depth of what they meant to him, and and uh, kind of the message behind it. Sweet the sin, bitter the taste in my mouth. I see seven towers, but I only see one way out. You gotta cry without weeping, talk without speaking, scream without raising your voice. You know, I took the poison from the poison stream and then I floated out of here. She runs to the streets with eyes painted red under a black belly of cloud in the rain. And through a doorway she brings me white gold and pearls stolen from the sea. She's raging and the storm blows up in her eyes. She will suffer the needle chill. She's running to stand still. It's a song about um, a place that he lived, the Seven Towers of Ballyman, where the highest suicide rate in Ireland is. And it was the flats that he lived where he described as being full of the stink of urine and vomit, glue sniffers, needles, climbing the stairs to the highest floors, and the drug abuse, the addiction that was so rampant there. It was there that he developed um, compassion, a spirit of compassion for those who are in need and those who are stuck and wanting to help out. And so that's why it talks about seeing the seven towers, but I only see one way out. Talking about drugs, talking about suicide, talking about whatever escape there is uh, to get out of a situation like that. And I thought about how many people I know that would identify with that. And I would say even specifically in the realm of chemical abuse, um, how many people that I know um, 
that find an escape in something like that and just saying, I don't know how to move forward. I don't know how to take my life out of the rut that it's in right now. And so I want to talk about ruts and, and talk about just some practical advice that I've learned about how to get out of a rut. If you're driving um, or if you're snowboarding, you snowboarders know exactly what it is to be stuck all the time. But just some practical advice um, on what it looks like to get out of it. First, recognizing when you're in a rut. And I want to just share with you just a little bit of an article by a man named Paul Maxwell. I really appreciated what he had to say. Seasons of spiritual darkness are common. Even when many pretend they're an anomaly. Even when indifference, uh, indifference pirates our most pious intentions. And when we surrender ourselves to isolation and our lack of holy zeal. Don't be deceived. Gloom in the Christian's heart is common. It does often look and feel different for different people. But you know it. Your daily fear of future tragedy erodes your affection for God. Your experience in corporate worship is empty and distracted. You feel unimpressed, aloof to the things of God. Patterns of repentance crumble and fade. The preached word seems boring. Hymns prompt only an irregular cadence of exhausted sighs. Spiritual advice trips over its own triteness on its way to cynical ears. Christian articles online induce more guilt than help. Day after day, sermon after sermon, small group after small group, we're discouraged, frightened by a widening gap between the desired self and the real self. I really liked what this had to say. And so if there's one thing I was praying about this morning, and I want to talk to you about the difference between being stuck in a rut and being in the groove. Isn't it weird that these two expressions are almost identical, but mean completely different things? And I was looking at this going, when do I say I'm stuck in a rut? And when do I say I'm in the groove? What's the difference between a rut and a groove? A groove is on purpose. A groove goes somewhere. A groove keeps me in line, and so I don't want you to think that monotony in your life is a bad thing. Did you know that most healthy activities have some level of monotony to them? Lifting weights, running, hate it because of the monotony. Bicycling, whatever you're doing, did you know most healthy activities involve a routine and are monotonous? And so there is a way in your life where you can transform monotony And there's something that is actually very healthy, something that's very beautiful. I have a sickness in the mornings with my routine. I am routine-oriented like crazy. I have to make the bed, I have to wash the dishes, and I have to set every single blind in our house to the exact same angle before I do anything, or I will go nuts. If I am late, I still have to go set all of the blinds to the same angle. It's just a weird routine. I have to go through my routine in the morning, and it's just, I'm religious with it. I really am. My prayers, all of these things. Uh, Melinda gets some of, sometimes it's healthy, sometimes she's like, wow, you're sick. <laughs> but sometimes these routines can be, can be really healthy. Well, and talk about some ruts we get stuck in real quick. These were just some that I've been praying about. The most important one to me is the last one. Because my prayer this morning, when I was praying about this sermon, one message I would want you to get out of it, it's this you are responsible. You are responsible, and I cannot emphasize that enough, the responsibility that each one of us bears. 
I think it's so easy. I don't, I, I'm going to get ahead of myself because that one means so much to me, but it should have been first. It's so easy to blame the rut, rut we're stuck in on our circumstances, our environment, other people. And you know what happens as a result? We don't take the responsibility to get out of the rut because it's not our responsibility. It's just where we're at. It's what life did to us. It's what circumstances are doing to us. And that's why we're stuck is because we don't bear the responsibility. I was so tired and worn out fixing my plumbing disaster. Um, It was going to cost $350 to fix or $15 to fix, depending on whether I did this myself or I had a professional do it. Um, I I had too much pride to spend that much money. Fifteen bucks, soaking wet, hot, angry at life. I had to go to my parents' house for dinner that night. Melinda came home, and I'm walking over there still wet. And she goes, why didn't you change clothes? And in the most bitter spirit, I said, because I'm too tired, and I don't care. Dead tired, and I hadn't fixed it yet. And I was just mad because I'm stupid. And I didn't know how to fix a simple pipe. After a good dinner, I went home and fixed it right away. I could think again. And so this idea where you're just tired and you don't bear the responsibility, you're sick of rocking back and forth in your car. Yeah, I've done this a lot. Rocking back and forth in your car, trying to get out. And so you don't even try anymore. You're stuck. So I really want to focus on the responsibility um, that we take in, in doing this. But here's some roads we get stuck in. Sin and addiction. I love Hebrews 12 says this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And again, that can be just can come across as empty theology when you're saying, I'm stuck in an addiction. I'm stuck in sin. You know, what do I do? How do I, how do I simply throw that off? How do I simply do that? And it says this, by fixing your eyes on Christ and knowing that you're running a race with a purpose. That every day, regardless of where you're at, and this is the greatest, most adventurous thing in my life, is every single day, every single moment, is an opportunity to make God smile. That's crazy to me. It is, it is the most rewarding thing in life. And that means if I'm going through the darkest sickness, I'm going through the worst pain, if I'm going through the worst poverty, if, if life is just throwing me nothing but limits, whatever it's going on, just to say, but in this, I can make God smile and I need to know why. I want to run this race for his pleasure. And that gives joy. And it gives adventure to a Christian life. When it, you understand, man, this isn't about me. This is causing, causing him to smile in everything that I am. A rut of depression. A rut of fear. A rut of negativity. A rut of pride. How about this one? A, a rut of living in the past. Um, Hebrews 6 and this, these verses are so important to me just because maybe they've been extremely relevant to me in my life. Paul writes, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, a faith in God. 
instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting will do so. Now, I want you to think about everything you just said. When he says baptism, some of your versions say washings. It, does, it is making specific reference to baptism, uh, to a religious ceremony where you would bury your life and give your life to God. And some of you would be looking at me saying, wait a second, you're telling me that Hebrews 12 says, let's leave the teaching about baptism behind. It's including it with faith. Bear that in mind. It's including it with repentance. In fact, some of you grew up with this. You remember this? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. And after you get that, you go on and evangelize, right? So you're telling me that Hebrews 12 is saying quit that? No, it never says quit that. It says that's a foundation. It's a beautiful foundation. It's a rich foundation. Build on it. Move forward. The foundation is the most important part of the building. So don't, don't, don't say, hey, we're throwing that out, but build on it. And so much of my life, it was about learning those five basic steps, and then it's about evangelism. But there's really no growth, depth. If God's word talks about something that people disagree on, then it doesn't matter. Revelation doesn't matter. Hebrews doesn't matter. Romans doesn't matter. Just give me my proof texts. Some of you guys grew up that way. That's exactly what Hebrews 12 says. Quit that and grow in maturity in your own faith. Um, Move forward in those areas. Anne Frank, who, and I don't know when she wrote this, uh, but it means a lot that she said this, because she began transforming the world when she was, I think, eight years old. Is that about right? How wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single moment before starting to improve the world. You don't need to wait a single second before you start transforming the world. I don't know how old she was when she said that. I like to think that she was eight. But that quote I had to share with you guys because it was just talked about this idea of moving forward and it can begin right now. Um, one last verse I want to close with before I give us some practical steps towards getting out of this rut. It says this. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. What caught me in Acts 13, 36 is this. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation. And what I want to ask you is, do you believe that God has a purpose for you in your generation? And what an amazing epitaph. What an amazing thing to be said about you at the end. That God fulfilled his purpose through you. For your generation. That God accomplished something in you that was his desire. I think the burden that faces all of us today is even though this is debated in theology, is that your future is not written in stone. That tomorrow and what is next is not simply, this is what's there, so you're along for the ride. Um, You have the burden of choice. You have the burden of deciding what that's going to be, and you do have the burden of deciding whether your your life will fulfill God's um, will, God's plan, God's intention for you. And you have the decision that it will not. That is the burden of choice that we really carry in our lives. So here's some practical advice. 
that I want to give you guys for, or give all of us really, for moving forward and getting out of some of these ruts. First, stop spinning your wheels. It's the most important thing you can do when you get stuck in the snow or stuck in the mud. You keep spinning your wheels, you're digging. If you have four-wheel drive, you have four shovels. You're still digging. Stop spinning your wheels. Step back, think, evaluate the circumstances. When Brad and I were caught, um, you probably guys, some of you saw the news that we were on. We were stuck in um, Colorado Springs. We came across a guy that was so stuck in the snow, and he was digging out under his tires. He didn't realize that his tires were basically suspended off the ground. The entire car was sitting on a snowbank. He stopped spinning your wheels, but you're more stuck than you think you are. And so that's the next one. You need to find somebody who is not stuck. This is important. When you're stuck in life, it's super important that you surround yourself with people that are not stuck. Let them help motivate you. Let them help pull you. Let them help bring you forward. Don't surround yourself with people that are stuck. It doesn't help. Let the air out of your tires. Now, I I, kind of strained the analogy on this one. But this is something you're supposed to do if your car gets stuck. If you're really stuck, let a lot of the air out of your tires. It gives you more ground surface, right? gives you a little bit more traction. I had to do this with my dad when we were stuck one time. So deflate your pride just a little bit. Again, bear with my strained analogy. Deflate your pride just a little bit. Confess and admit, I'm stuck. I need help. I need people to surround myself with. Hold me accountable. I have to move forward. And finally, and this goes back to Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on a direction. Fix your eyes on Christ. Fix your eyes on the you that you know that God desires you to be and that you pray that you would be. And move towards it. But whatever you do, don't get comfortable where you're at. Don't get comfortable being stuck. Um, Life in Christ for every single one of us, regardless of what church you go to, what country you live in, what your family circumstances are, wherever you're at, challenge. I'm like Chuck. I'm, I'm like this. Challenge me on this, man. I love back and forth. I hope I'm healthy with it. But challenge me on this. I think it is always an adventure. Always an adventure. Every single day, every single conversation, everything that I'm in should be an adventure. And there is nothing at all boring about life in Christ. Not for a second is it boring. In fact, if, I, if my life were to be taken from me tomorrow, I have nothing but thanksgiving for this adventure. And there have been times in my life where church was monotonous. There were times in my life where my, my, my prayer life became dull. There were times when that was all there. But not because the church lacked direction. Not because my circumstances. Not because God. It was all because of me. And the lens through which I saw everything. Monopoly should be the most boring game in the world. You run around a board in circles and circles and circles. And for some of you, you're thinking it is the most boring game in the world. But for some of us who like to cheat, and for some of us who like to (laughs) dominate other people, you turn that routine into something that has purpose and has adventure. Maybe Maybe it's a rough analogy, but I believe that about life too. So my prayer for us this week, and I'm just going to kind of 
I'll close this in a prayer. I pray that um, in your business, in your home, in your marriage, in your family, in your parenting, in your evangelism, in your outreach, I pray that you would open your day every single day praying for an adventure. God, show me how to make you smile in this very next thing. Whether I'm driving, the person I encounter when I'm checking out, whatever it is, turn this into an adventure again. Turn this into something that is beautiful and that's moving me forward. And then finally, I just want to pray for supernatural help. Because um, I don't want to be insensitive to some of you who are sitting there under the sink with your finger in the plug saying, give me something. I don't want to be insensitive to that because I know what it is to be stuck spiritually and everything else. And to say, you know what, God, I can't. And I desperately need you right now. I desperately need you. And so I'm going to be praying that this isn't something that is simply a how-to with life kind of thing with you. I pray that this is also God responding to you and saying, I'm going to pull you out of this, and I want you to move forward. But we have to be moving towards what's next. Oh my God, I just want to come before you and um, recognize you as not simply something we believe in, but an ever-present God that you are with us, that you are so present right here and regardless of the songs, regardless of the, regardless of the sermon, regardless of how we do things, it's an incredible to think that we're gathered in your presence. And God, when we talk about this, this routine, talking about life, talking about the monotony, talking about addictions and pains and mindsets that we're stuck in, I pray, God, that you would reveal to us the difference between a rut and a groove. And that you would set our ministry here, our church, our vision, our individual lives and passions. That you would set us on a course to bring glory to you in this life and everything that we are. Pull those that are in desperate need right now, pull them out. Help us when we need you the most. I pray for those that are stuck in serious addiction right now. And, they, and, and, and know that they're in pain because they can't get out. And I just pray, Father, but that by the help of your, your Spirit, you will empower us to conquer every obstacle that stands in our path. I pray, Father, for those that are stuck in a rut of anger and pain, lack of forgiveness, negativity, bitterness. I pray, God, that, they would, that we would recognize that those spirits are not from you. They are not of you. They are demonic. They are sick. They blind us. And I pray, Father, that we would recognize them as the spirit of the enemy and not the spirit of the truth. And I pray that you deliver us out of that. Finally, Father, I lift up Meadowlark to you in your kingdom in Fort Collins. And I ask God that we won't ever cross the gray line into a works-based type thing and that we put a burden on people's shoulders that we won't carry kind of a thing. But at the same time, I pray that we would take responsibility for the mission that you've given us here in this place. 
and that we will not remain comfortable where we're at, but we will move forward. And by your spirit, I pray that you would reveal what that means. I love you for the family you've given us, for so many people here capable of pulling others out. Um, Cause us to be a one another church and to keep each other moving forward. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and praise God.